1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign
0: up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW proof. for prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Blob Talk Radio. Calling all men, it's now your time for your show with your coach, The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Relax, be heard, and be understood. It's a show where men can be men. Now here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross.
3: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. I am fired up to tell you about today's show. We're going to be talking about suicide and a whole lot more, and I want you to find out what this Navy SEAL can teach you. We're going to be joined by my guest, Javon P. Quarles, and he's going to talk a little bit about his background, being raised by grandparents. Of course, he's a decorated veteran of 22 years. This elite honor man is going to school us on life and living and the beyond welcome <laughs> Gio- <laughs> jova to the show so nice to have you here today
0: oh so glad to be here today with you miss gross uh i'm excited about this and it's uh, uh, to be on the platform with you and to just share my my view and my experiences of what i have went through in my my life up in my upbringing and especially in the philippines
3: I see that your up, upbringing was very important to you I don't know what happened to the parents but you start off your story with your grandparents so there's a little story in there so give us a little background for our audience where did you get your beginnings and give us a little bit of the journey
0: uh, absolutely so uh, I was ra- I'm originally from Washington DC okay, okay. From the East Coast East Coast native but currently live in San Diego right now um, but I was raised with my grandmother my grandmother my grandfather Okay. all humble humble and in, in, the, in the county of the city of Washington DC uh, my mom at the time was a drug addict uh, very well known you know my friends my family I've I'm, I'm been outspoken about this and just kind of get people to understand that's part of the background of where I grew up and the culture where I grew up in didn't know who my father was we if you could ask my mom back then you know, who he was, what's his name. I, I got two different, different names each time. So it was one of those things that never really worked out for me. So I never really got to understand where I really got a part of who I am from. Okay. Um, so I had to witness her being hauled off to prison a few times, uh, you know, taken out of the house. I got to see her in some domestic death, domestic disputes. Uh, and I've even seen some of those pipes, and uh, which used to hide certain things in her cigarette cart cigarette packs or whatever it was this is all in the 90s I'm a, I was born 1980 so I kind of saw all these things as a teenager in the 90s and this is what kind of led me to be I honestly will say where I am right now because my grandparents eventually took me from Washington DC and moved me down to North Carolina okay totally different world <laughs> where we nice. went to uh, that was where her mother which was my great-grandmother her, their health was her parents were very sick so we moved in with them I started school down there, and just the lifestyle change from coming from the city to the country was a big difference for me. I fought to try to go back to the D.C. area to live with my aunts and my uncles because the the women in my life, my aunts uh, and some of my female cousins, they really try to play another role of that motherly figure to me as I was being raised as well. So I was willing to go back there. But grandma was like, "Nope, you are staying here, and we're going to make this work. And she was right. So, you know, those are some of the things I had to witness and go through. And we were very poor. So some of the things I had to go through in school, I was teased, you know, from other kids who were there, you know, new kid on the block. I wore some of the same clothes and I wore Monday. I'm wearing it again on Thursday. So I was not that person at the time. And then I found my identity in sports. And when I did that, then started to build more of a community, friendships. Uh, I was in the paper a lot. And during that time my mother was in and out of prison. So she started coming down to North Carolina to try to build that relationship with me. Um, And she was definitely just not in that mindset to to build a relationship, to be honest with you. She just didn't understand how to do it because of the drugs that she's been in. She was very aggressive. My mother was very aggressive. She was a fighter in a big way, just always wanted to pick a fight with somebody. So I had to witness a lot of things and me and her got into a few intense heated arguments. I think my grandmother felt a little guilty um, because my mother made her feel that way about taking her, taking me from her. So she felt guilty, so every now and again when she would come back from prison because she was always in and out, my grandmother would try to push me to try to move in with her because my grandmother would set her with like an apartment or a a trailer right across the street Mm -hmm. to try to help us cultivate some type of relationship. It never worked. She eventually had my younger brother my younger brother came out and his dad was able to get full custody of him pretty much immediately. So his dad came and took off, him right out. Off out he went. <laughs> off he went, right away.
3: Yeah.
0: Luckily, he, he had a good relationship with my grandmother so I still got to, you know, be around my brother We would go visit him and all those kind of things. And then we had a, my sister came later as well. And we had her for a while and then the system took her. Uh, so then she was in the system for a while. And then as I got older, when I first graduated school and, and turned 21, when I was in the military, I even made my own attempt to go and get custody of my sister myself because I wanted to get her out of the system at the time. Um, they couldn't take me at the time because I was much older. <laughs> uh, when they took her, I think I was I was still in high school, so I had to witness all those things. I had to see it all when they actually came and picked her and take her from the house. And those were definitely arguments that me and my mother had because she would take her with her sometimes whenever I told her, I'm not watching her. Whenever I say, I'm tired of watching her, I'm not watching her. You're going to stay here and you're going to do this. And then she got, she beat me to the punch and she said, okay, well, you're going to play this hard game. I'm going to just take it with me. And then eventually I just say, you know what? I, I got her Just do you or whatever. So yeah. definitely was a hard upbringing. And then my own personal self, uh, I started getting into my own things, being dumb spit, even had kids in high school. There's a lot of men and women out there who going relate to that back in the nineties, having kids young. And then that's what my grandmother decided to uh, want to push me into the military. Now, of course, the rest of my family did not take well to that idea. That was just not something that the family wanted. You know, in the 90s, you got to think my aunts and uncles, they grew up in that time where America wasn't that, that keen in, in, on uh, uh, minorities. So they just hated the idea of trying to push me in the military in the 90s. I understood it then, but... grandma made sense (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I listened to grandma she was knowing she knew she wasn't gonna be around because her health was getting bad she was an amputee because she was diabetic Uh, she had a lot of heart issues so a lot of the stuff I had to go through when I was going through school like the athletics the sports she wasn't even able to witness some of those she couldn't come to my games because her health was so bad wow so she just knew that she had to do something for me she wanted to put her baby somewhere where she felt I was going to be safe Join the Navy, long story short, uh, when I fell in the SEAL teams though, and I told her once I was in, that's what I wanted to do. Cause I didn't come in on the Navy SEAL contract. That was not my, my movement. The recruiter brought me in on a uh, search and rescue type of program, sure. which is cool. Cause he knew I was an athlete and all those things. And uh, he did that and then he pushed me into that. He convinced me to take that. But once I got to Pensacola, Florida, I was in my own way. And I got in some trouble. <laughs> they kicked me out of that program. Young hothead, right? Right. Kicked me out of that program They made me become an engineer in the Navy. And I did that for a couple of years, and then I found the SEAL teams. And that's when I, things changed. That's when I knew I hit where I wanted to be. That's when I knew this is what I want to do, right? Growing up in 90s, the navy's the only thing I knew about the Navy SEALs was the Charlie Sheen Navy SEAL movie everyone saw back in the 90s him jumping off the bridge him just being a hothead in the field it was cool but even when i first came in i didn't think about it right away it just didn't dawn on me wow i'm in the navy now i should try out for that Mm -hmm. but i got to work with him once and then that's when things changed and i think that's when i found my calling and and that's when i really took heed and decided mentally this is what i wanted to do now
3: So what was it about the SEALs that turned that light bulb on? Because, you know, Search and Rescue, you weren't, you know, you're mentally, you weren't there. But what was it about the SEALs that did that for you?
0: I want to say it was the culture of what I saw when I started working with them, just from the outside looking in. The culture, Mm -hmm. right, they had a very tight group, a small community. There's not that many SEALs. So it was a small community, and it felt like a brotherhood from when I was able to see from the outside and i always felt like i was alone a lot of times right especially from coming up and my friends knew all the stuff that was going on in my household with my mom everyone knew that i had the drug addict mom like, right so i felt alone and separate in certain things right um so when i saw the seals it just made sense and then they just had this attitude about them well people respected them mm-hmm. and, it, and then it didn't have to mean that they did anything they just respected you once you got that title. And I wanted at least to have that type of respect. But at the same time, I wanted to be able to do something more to impact the world. I wanted to change things, right? I think think a lot of the minority communities always grow up and they think, okay, because I have it rough this way, this is the way I'm just going to live the rest of my life. So I wanted to prove and show that even though I came through this, 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 and that, didn't have the stable mom and dad at home. Didn't have, you know, all those kind of the blessings, I think you would say, as a younger child even though I had the love from my grandmother and my aunts and uncles. But I wanted to show I can twist that around and become more, and I wanted to be able to impact more of the world. So I really had that need and wanting to show that I could be more than what I was raised in, more than the culture that I was put into. And that's what made me want to become a Navy SEAL for the most part, and um, and that's where we started. And Grandma didn't like it.
3: now was there a qualification process to go from search and rescue to the seals or or they just let you in that you know you were attracted to it and they said come on down how did that process go
0: you're absolutely right there is a requirement that some tests you got to take you got to be a certain level of academics that you have to qualify for with the ASVAB test coming into the military which I was not even qualified so Yeah, coming out of school, I didn't pay. I, with all the things that was going on in the school, you can probably see or know that I just had some academic issues growing up in school. So I barely graduated school, high school, just to be honest. So when I had to take the ASVAB, I just took it and I almost failed it. Mm-hmm. So when I applied to be a SEAL, that's when I found out that I needed to do better. So I had to go through a lot of hoops to even apply, apply. I had to take a course. First, I had to ask my, my current command if they would allow me to go Take two weeks off from working with them, and take this naval course to help you increase your ADV- ASVAB score, so you can qualify for certain things, for certain jobs. Right. Now understand that means that I'm being taken away from my current position in the Navy, which was in the CBs. Most commands are not don't want their people to leave because they already showed on people anyway. But because of my, I want to say, my work ethic that I did show when I got mm-hmm. to this point, because I grew out of that little attitude type of personality, and I became a man, and I started to grow and understand responsibility and accountability more so than anything. So my job was willing to say, you know what? We want to help. Everyone called me Q at the time. We want to help Q. If Q wants to be a SEAL, let's help him do that. Aww. So they approved me. They had your be- back. They had my back. They had my back, and I was, I, that was a blessing. And I still know and talk to some of those those people that signed off, my supervisor, signed off to allow me to go do that because that took me away from my normal job, which that meant somebody else had to take up the slack. Um, so I went this two-week course here in San Diego, took it, you know, we studied a lot, a lot of training, a lot of reading and all that stuff, and then took the as I again, got a high enough score where I qualified to at least apply for the, the naval Navy field program, which is called BUDS. BUD stands for basic underwater demolition seal training right, so did that, and then I had to take a physical test <laughs> <laughs> now, the physical test uh, comes with water now while right. I'm from in washington d c there's no swimming pools in washington d c so i didn't I didn't come up in this knowing how to really swim and do all these kind of things in the water. Yep. I was just a very athletic person that I could just muscle through something right and figure it out so this course was uh, the test was early in the morning. You had to do a 6 a.m. You had to do a uh, 500 meter swim, and uh, under a certain amount of time, which was ten. Basically, I think around 10 minutes. You had to get it under 10 minutes to pass. Then you had to do a certain amount of push-ups in two minutes, a certain amount of sit-ups in two minutes, a certain amount of pull-ups in two minutes, and then you go off and do a mile and a half run, and you have to get that under. Well, the higher you scored, like the faster you you came in, that that made your application higher to get more approved. You get more points. Yeah. Yeah. Get more points. Yeah. So, the the score you had to pass was like 11 minutes run. So, but I just put out and did as much as I did. Now, with that test though, I I crushed it, completely crushed wow. it. Now, I
3: know a lot of, I don't know, during high school if there was a swimming pool. Not all high schools have swimming pools, or I don't know if there was a community pool in your neighborhood, but how did you get that swimming experience?
0: They had a little training going on super early in the morning before everyone would go to work where someone would teach you how to do the stroke, because this wasn't typically your normal, like, uh, uh, freestyle. You could not do a freestyle for this test. You had to do what they called the combat swimmer stroke, which is like, uh just a you know what a, not a breaststroke but a, it's a side stroke on the side and all that but it's just right. weird <laughs> yeah. And the way they kick you have to do it their way so i had to get some training for like oh so you
3: got some training all right I got so just like a propulsion stroke like it it got you from a to b in the fastest time right yes. probably yes. cuz yes. i mean if you're doing rescues and missions and whatever <laughs> you can't take your time you got to be there fast Right. You do.
0: You do. But this test was not geared to that, right? Because our missions and this test are totally different, right? Okay. This test, you have no fins on. You just have goggles. You're slick in your whatever shorts. No wetsuit, no gear, anything. So just slick. This was just a, a test to prove how much grit you have. Okay. So that's what this test was primarily to do. But it was very hard to learn because, again, I'm swimming without fins, and fins make people just cheat and flow through the water like a fish. So... I I just kicked hard as I could. I came out of that thing tired, and I got a time of like nine something, which is really, which was pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And then we got to the push-ups first. After that, I think I did 120 push-ups, so that was pretty, pretty good. Were you
3: already in good shape ahead of all this? Ahead of testing? Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. I had a foundation at least. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe so much in fitness and health. So I was always working out on my own just in general. Uh for push ups I crushed. hundred and twenty in two minutes, easy. Uh had the most there. Sit ups, same thing. Pull pull ups and then I ran that mile and a half at eight minutes and thirty something seconds. There you go. So I I sprinted pretty much almost all of that. It was mm-hmm. it was something. So I won and pretty much beat everybody's time who was doing the test with me. It was like 20 other guys or 25 other guys doing tests test with me. So I pretty much had the top score. Um, so that came in then. Boom, it was like, all right, now I've got the ASVAP score. I got the PT test down, submit my package, my command approved everything, submit it off and just wait for them to approve me, which is someone else in another state. They don't even see you. They just see your documents. They just see your record. They go through it and they scrub it to see if you're a good candidate, meaning how has your career been? Have you been doing well in your jobs? What were the recommendations from my current command? Did they really did they just approve me or did they even give me some recommendation letters along with it? So I had a few of those. So all that said, I, I got approved. Plus I had some more years in the military at the time too. And that was that can that can be a good and bad thing. Sometimes they'll take people who've already spent some time because they know you're seasoned, they know you're mature, mm-hmm. but sometimes they won't because they know now, because you've been in so much longer, the cells can't use you as long. Makes sense? Oh, because yeah. your body starts to break down, we get older and all those kind of things.
3: Right. Right, right, right. My audience, if you've just joined us, you're currently on with Javon Quarles. Um, We're going to come right back after the break. Call us. Call us. He's willing to take your calls. 323-642-1677, 323-642-1677, or if you're shy, I'll catch you on the chat line if you're listening live right now, you can uh, use the chat line, blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com forward slash DT Linda Gross forward slash DT Linda Gross. You're on with uh, Javon, who's a retired Navy SEAL of 22 years. Ask him questions about the SEALs or about not having a stable family, family and home life. Living with, with, with the grandma. I, I want to find out why grandma didn't like it, but hold that thought. We'll, we'll, you can answer me after we come back from the break. So we'll catch yeah. you right back after the break.
1: The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. We will be discussing men's issues, dating, relationships, sex, women, fitness, health, business, men's hobbies, men's rights, and more. She will be talking about excerpts from her men's book, Mastering Women too.
2: Hi, guys. You've heard her on the Men's Advocate show. Linda Gross wants you to know what turns a woman on and makes her go wild so she just can't help herself. Check out Linda's book, Mastering Women, real truth about women that'll change your life forever. Linda gives you all the insider tips on how to catch a woman and if you want, to keep her. In four easy steps, these proven techniques will make women just melt. Ever wonder why the girl you really liked
3: Welcome back, everybody. You're currently on with me, Linda Gross. Uh, You're on listening to the Men's Advocate Show. We have a wonderful guest here today, Javon P. Quarles. He's a former Navy SEAL, and he's going to teach you a thing or two about life. So call him at 323-642-1677, 323-642-1677. Seven seven. All right, Sioban, let's dive back in. Why did grandma not want you to go into the seals?
0: Well, she knew <laughs> the funny thing about it is she knew how dangerous the job was. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Right. She understood it. She saw the movie too, the Charlie Sheen. She saw all <laughs> of the, the danger military yeah. war movies. So yeah. she thought initially the navy was gonna make me safe. Oh, you just gonna be on a ship, you're gonna travel the world. You oh, know, good. get some education, grow, make some money um so i go in and uh this is where things get crazy right going through uh the first part of it like the you know, it, most people have probably heard of hell week in the field team pro, the pipeline the training pipeline
3: sure. so hell week
0: generally comes around the fourth week of the very first month so they they put this on pretty early and it's been hell, and buzz is six months long but they want to get to find out who really deserves to be there for the long term to go through the pipeline because the process is long they put a lot of money into you. Uh, so they want to make sure who, that we got the right people. So right. fourth week comes up. We go into Hell Week. Um, now, Hell Week goes from Sunday night to Friday morning. You basically get, I think it's like three to four or five hours of sleep, period, the whole week. And that first sleep doesn't come till Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. <clears throat> so initially, it was a lot of fun. The first hour. We call it breakout. You know, there's, there's chaos going on. You're right here on Coronado Island. Uh, the weather was terrible because I, I went through a November class. It was freezing outside. It was cold in San Diego. Yeah. Uh, and fire hoses going on, crash bangs. They got these blanks shooting machine guns. I mean, that's when you hear it even in downtown San Diego. Everyone knows when the hell we get going on. Just every, It's like chaos. Like all-out all war is going on on the island for the first hour. And yeah. to me, I was excited. It really had me, oh, man, this is really it. I'm I'm in it right now. You know, water there home TV. Pumped up. Pop, I'm pumped <laughs> up for the first hour. After yeah. that first hour goes, and it all, it just all hell breaks. So it gets really quiet. Then we start doing the real stuff. I mean, people start quitting left and right, quitting left and right, quitting left and right. And then we get to around Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, we get our first chance of uh, sleep. But first you get doctors, they check you and all that stuff. Because they don't give you a lot of water. They don't give you a lot of food. The goal behind Hell Week is to put you in a position where mentally you feel like you, you just cannot go further. You feel like you're done. You feel like you're a quitter. You feel like you're the weak link. you just like, I can't do it any further, and to see if you are going to go further. Yeah. That is the goal. Because right. they can't shoot at you to put that fear in you. So they have to put that fear in you in a, in a safe zone, but in a place that you think that you're in you're, you just can't do it no more. Right. And for the most part, most people break. Yeah, they quit, leave and um, come when they want, it's a,
3: it's a, it's a test of elimination.
0: That's right. A test of elimination, test of your grit, your resolve, right, your resiliency mm-hmm. to see if you really want to be doing this. Because everything, every profession, if you identify it as a profession, it has its challenges. And people have to understand anything that's worth having, you have to go through these challenges. You have to go through these, these fights. you got to go through these obstacles times where things just doesn't seem like it's right for you and you're going to see where you're really at, what you're really made of, man or woman, doesn't matter. Whether you want to be a doctor, whether you want to be a dentist, all that stuff will take hold and you got to find out who you really are. So, and that's what they do. And most people just don't make it, more than most don't make it. And we went into Hell Week, I want to say, on that Sunday about 120 strong. Wow. We came out of Hell Week a little less than 50. Wow. In wow. just a week. But that Thursday, I had to go to the hospital. Oh, um,
3: no. Wait, this is after of- Hell Week is over?
0: It's a during Hell Week. It's oh, during Hell Week. During wow. Hell Week, my kidneys, well, I didn't know it was my kidneys. I just thought I was having stomach pains because, again, they don't feed you enough food or water. So I was just having the abdominal pain. So we're doing med checks. The doctor says, "Is anybody having any kind of pain? I say, yes, I'm having some pain in my stomach. Do you have abysmal or something like that? That's all I can think of, right? I'm delirious right now, I'm a zombie. I've been going on fumes all week long, night and day. And then he had me lay down and he pressed on my stomach. And when he pressed on my stomach, I it was excruciating pain. I felt it right away. And from that, the doctor knew it. He pulled me out of training. He said, you need to go to the hospital. He, they, they called the ambulance and sent me to the to the next base hospital here in Bob the Naval Hospital. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I was crying. I didn't even want to go. I was like, what's going on? I only got a couple more hours, and I'm about to be done with this part, portion of training. We only got a few more hours, and then it's Friday morning. Yeah. But no, they wouldn't let me stay. So I found out when I got to the hospital that I had something they call it rhabdo. Uh, I think there's a longer version. Myosin, or just rhabdo something. Mm-hmm. And what they say is the muscle breakdown inside your body, but it's turning into poison. It's poisoning because your kidneys can't flush it out. So my kidneys were shutting down. And then you can go into a point with portion when you die. So they said that they couldn't, they no longer could allow me to continue going through training. So once we started going though, they allowed me once I healed and everything. Once I woke up from all the they drained and all that stuff, so, you know, my body, all my ligaments just blew up um, on Friday morning. So I just couldn't even walk. had me in the wheelchair. I come back and I found out at least my class. I didn't, I, I did not get kicked out of my class. They still kept wow. me, kept me in. Kept me in. And then the long story short, as we kept going, and, and as you see, my classmates land on the floor Friday afternoon because they just finished, you know, they're delirious as well. Guys are still broken as we go through the next week. And a few weeks later came, and then my grandmother dies. Oh, no. My goodness. She passed she passes away uh, right around um, uh, uh, my birthday, so she didn't even get to see me graduate the program. She didn't even get to see me um, become top of my class. Uh, She didn't get to see that. So it was one of those things where I didn't want to leave, especially as well, because I wanted to make sure grandma would have wanted me to. Her name is Annie Quarles, Annie May Quarles. Um, And she would have wanted me to finish the program no matter what. So I tried to stay in as long as I could until I had to leave, which I did because then my aunts called me. They were telling me that my grandmother made me like her beneficiary as far as settling all the estate paperwork. issues.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I had to go home then. And then I went home. I was the first person to see the body and all that stuff. It was just something brand new for me, especially because she was the locking key for me. She was the inspiration for me to why I went into this program, partially because I wanted to impress my grandmother. I wanted to make her proud of me. I wanted to give something back to her and say, you did this for me. You raised me. And now I became something that no one in my community, no one in my family, no one in my neighborhood, whether a D.C. or North Carolina, ever was able to achieve. And I wanted to be able to tell you, I did that. And I put in that effort to become that. And mm-hmm. so graduating top of my class, I'm the first Black man to graduate top of his class in the Navy SEAL pipeline training to become a Navy SEAL. So they put my helmet and a little right up in the Navy SEAL museum. She'll never get to see it. But. Just
3: see awesome. it from above.
0: That's what I feel. That's what I feel. I mean,
3: she's maybe she's sent you a message here and there, but I I feel that.
0: Yeah, I felt yes, yeah, I felt it. And the thing about it is, when we buried her, we um, my family threw a, a going a, a party for me at the same time. So it was a it was a passionate moment. We had to deal with that, but because it was on my birthday as well, we made it something joyful, right? I mean, you, couldn't, you can't even make this stuff up how it happened all together as a blend like that. So now, now, I think about it today. I'm like, there was a purpose behind that. Right. Right? right? For that and to happen. Even the, fact,
3: even the fact that they didn't kick you out, like after the hospital. They could have. Mm-hmm. They could have said, you know, we'll see you in six months at the next go-round or whatever, at the next yeah. trials. But they yeah. didn't. So you, you got very mm-hmm. lucky there. Wow.
0: I did. Because, and just to say what you just, just, to add what you just said, because typically if someone leaves the training, especially during Hell Week, you don't get to just stay with your class. They make you restart the whole program all over again, or they know right. you're done, depending right. on how the instructor staff like you. So you're done, and you've got to try to submit again and try again. They don't like you missing a large portion of training and then just coming back and just sticking in with everybody else when everybody else had to go through so much stuff. So, yes, it was a blessing that I was able to stay my, with my class.
3: So the, the uh, maybe there was one day left when you went to the hospital, so did you have to make up that time or, or you know, get that training somehow?
0: No, no. Um, this or is what just, I found. Or
3: they just put you <laughs> along with the ones who passed.
0: <laughs> I got it. There's a, there's, a, there's a little tip to it that I didn't know when I was going through, but there's a portion of training once you get to a certain distance. Yeah. That as long as you get to that distance, say something does happen to you like it happened to me, say if I've got hypothermia or something like that that they still, you are considered, you pass that portion at that point.
3: Wow. I had
0: no idea going through it, though. <laughs> yeah. When I went through it, I had no idea. My mind was all just like, oh, my God, I did not quit. I am trying to, you know, go back into training. The doctor's going to let me. I did not quit. I did not quit. I just want to get back in, but I couldn't go back in because of the doctors. But because of that, I hit that portion, that threshold. Right. I was fine, but I had no idea that there was even a threshold at the time.
3: <laughs> that was probably good to not know. I mean, it was probably a blessing in disguise. Uh, disguise. Hello. Wow, that's 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 some kind of craziness. You you had so many emotions going up and down, and trials and tribulations. So tell our audience because there might be people that young young men that come from troubled backgrounds. You know, like like yourself. Maybe their parents are not stable. Drugs, alcohol, mm-hmm. violence, prison. Like, et cetera, et cetera. So um, hopefully your grandma's environment was a stable environment. You know, that could have been chaos, too. But, you know, so tell us how, how you mentally got through those stages. And who called grandma? Like when mom went to jail, did, you know, the, the station call, the police station call grandma? Like who called grandma?
0: Good, good question. I'm glad you asked that. The details of that was we all live in the house together. At a time so i was a kid there so my grandparents grandma granddad my mother off and on when she was out of prison Out in another prison my uncle lived in the basement and we had a family friend of the family of the family and then my aunt and then me so we're seven of us living
3: there. oh okay so you were already living there all right i didn't know that we, yep. part
0: yeah we okay. were already living there so anytime she was pulled out of the home for police drugs Stay with my neighbor and just watch it, you know, I to, just to get out of the home and be away from that. So I would just actually sit there on, her, on the, on the, on the, not the couch, but the, um the porch, because we have porches yeah. in DC and watch this happen. Watch her get hauled off. Watch her kicking and screaming cussing and, cuss and fighting and, and all these different kinds of things. Right. Um, go ahead. And, I'm sorry.
3: and so, and so many times, you know, young men, they repeat what they, you know, all the bad stuff that happened at home. Or maybe they join a gang because they didn't have a dad and, you know, their brotherhood at the gang is their new dad. Is there new yeah. people that have their back? So how do you, like, break out of, out of that mold? Because not only did you break out of it, I mean, you excelled, you know, at the SEALs. So, I mean, you could have gone to the SEALs and been kicked out in, a, you know, a couple of days. But you didn't do that. So there was some muster in you. There was some you know, driving you that made you keep going, that I'm going to make this and I'm going to make the best out of it?
0: You know, uh, you know, Linda, it was when I was going through all that, living in that house and seeing everything, mm-hmm. a lot of time would really help me to step to stay away from the drug part of it, stay away from the drinking, because I didn't even start drinking until well in my 20s because of some of the things I saw. What made that happen, though, mm-hmm. it was my some of some of my good friends in school because I had some bad friends in school too. The bad ones even, like I said, knew all about my mom and what she did, what she was doing. They would see her at nighttime, late night, doing stuff. So there was times where I just, you just don't want your friends to know what's going on with your mom like that, right? But they did because they was doing the same thing together, right? Oh. High school. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so like
3: perhaps their parents were hanging with your mom lot, and wow. their
0: parents and them. Like some of my friends were doing drugs, selling selling drugs at least for sure that I knew for a fact where they were my high school friends where they were taking the drugs I ain't not too factual on that but I know they were selling them so that always that was like the relationship bond that they their mom and my mom all kind of had so knowing my friends some of them were just knew all these details of where my mom was at three in the morning like would tell me what's going on like I, I don't even need to know I, I can care less at the time I, and I and I created that little barrier of a wall. Where I did get very dismissive, and I didn't even—I learned to not care, like emotionally, about my own mom, and that's—that's that's something where I always used to think not always. Cause there was a time where I was a lot younger, well, I accepted that, and I thought that was, you know, protecting me. But then as I got a little older, especially now, I sometimes hope that I won't be judged unfairly before how the how I viewed her, right? Because I think everyone goes somewhere when we die, but. I could not stand her for things that I saw and things that she was doing and things that came back to me. So I didn't want to be that way, right? But some kids they just flow easily flow into it. Like I said, some of my friends they were already doing selling drugs because their moms were already involved with it. It was one of those things. I think what helps kids and I used to get out of that. One, you have to want to. You have you really have to want to, right? Some of those things got to hit you as hard to say, man, that's especially when your own mom is doing it. You don't want to be doing this stuff with your mom. What is this this is weird, right? It just doesn't even feel right. Right. Um, so you gotta want to and then some of my good friends, my better friends, their parents would, you know, have me come over and stay the weekend, you know, stay with them. Uh, my coaches that I had, they knew a little bit what was going on with my family. Um, so they would really mentor me when I was going through all these things my upbringing and try to be better for me, especially my coaches. My coaches, I love them. And some of them I've even seen since I've been out. Like I've seen some just even last year in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, they still communicate with me. And they're just so proud of what I've done in the, from, North, from when I left North Carolina. So those type of people tend to put a accountability on you that you don't want to make them down, let them down. And right. then my aunt. Two of my aunts, I mean, they tried to be my mom, play that mom role, well, three actually, try to play that mom role for me and would come and get me, you know, try to buy me new clothes for school whenever the summer was getting over because always my grandmother could not always do that because right. what she was dealing with. Um, so they tried to play that role for me and fill those gaps. And it worked out to a point where I did not want to make them feel bad. Either. I wanted to make sure I gave them something. right? And that's called my mom. And so... I think it's an accountability thing, but you gotta also have it. And then it's some awareness piece, right? You gotta have people who are willing to take those steps to be in your life. My coaches, my friend's parents, right? One of my friend's parents, his mom and dad were pastors in the church. So every time I went to hang out with them over the weekend, I had to learn to accept that we're going to church every Sunday. I had to accept that we're praying over dinner every time they made food. I had to accept that, even though he had all the cool clothes, all the cool toys. It was fun, but even when I was there, I had to still learn to understand and respect these things. So I learned to show respect more. And even though I had my own issues, right, still getting into fights, and then and then have my own kids in high school, I let them down to a point. I let everyone down to a point, and I saw that. And for me, I was like, man, I gotta. How can I correct this? How can I be something still more and show them that hey, I wasn't a lost cause. Yes, I was a high school top athlete. I didn't go to college to play athlete like play that sport, like you would think. But I was able to turn it around and still be something that most people would never be able to do. There's millions of athletes out there, right? Right. There's not millions of maybe still, yeah. and there never will be that you can actually relate to someone like myself who've done the things I've done, who trained the way I've trained, who've seen the things I've seen, right? But I play football. I know how the game of football goes, right? I played basketball. I ran track. I understand sports, but those. Pro athletes, even today, I have respect for them because they put hours and hours and hours to be a professional. Right. But they'll never match what I believe I've done in the field change or any other field because we're just two different groups of people. I can go and do that sport, but they could not do mine because so many people have tried and failed. So many athletes have tried. Pro athletes have tried and failed. So, you know, I look at what I've done now, and I can be proud of it. But I don't also... Just allow that one thing or accolade to define me. I still want more, right? Now I want my kids to see more. I want my kids to be like, okay, yeah, it was cool to say when they were growing up in school that their dad was Navy SEAL because nobody else in school would say that. Yeah. That's <laughs> else cool. in the school. Would say that. <laughs> but it was exciting. But the goal is to, to do so much more because I want to impact more people. I'll go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> yeah. So do you try to, you know, Walking the journey that you walk, do you try to now give back to the community or now, you know, spend a little time volunteering with troubled kids or what have you? Is there, is there a connection there?
0: I've, I've done some things since I've been active and even since I've been out with youth. And, like, even, you know, as far as more recent, is coming up this June, I'll be going to Minnesota to talk to a youth basketball group. Um, and even before I got out the Navy, I was a part of the Navy Seal recruiting team. Mm-hmm. We called the Scout Team at the time, or the Naval Special Warfare Assessment Team, where we would go out and talk to colleges and high school about the program, about not not just about becoming the field they wanted to, but give them an idea and understanding that you still have to turn and grow and be better, right? So right. we would go out and talk to these colleges and high schools and talk to them about that and let them understand that there is a growth process to life. If you want more to life. You have to go and move and try for that and deal with the process, deal with the struggles of it, deal with the hate and all that stuff that you may have in your body. Like I had hate inside of me that I projected initially in my earlier military career onto other people. And so I want to do more of that. And I'm even going to write, I'm writing a book as well currently. And I'm using my Instagram to kind of like show people more about who I am so I can get out there and talk to more people in the youth especially smaller communities to let them understand struggling communities, poverty type communities so they can understand you can be more, even though you don't have mom, you may not have dad, or you may be adopted, right? There's a, there's so many different cultures in the team. There's many maybe since I met who were adopted, right? Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show you everyone has a different background. Everyone has some type of struggle, right? Right. Yours, mm-hmm. it just goes to some levels are just different, but I want to really give back to the youth. So, that is my mission now that I'm out retired is to really get in front of more younger men and women and talk to them about resiliency, uh, struggle, uh, changing your life around, never just being a victim. Stop playing the victim. Stop accepting that whatever life, life you grew up in is the life you do, you're just have to you're deemed for the rest of your life. Don't right. accept that. Because we can always change it and do what we need to do and become who we want to become. Right? Anything is possible, but it's just going to take a lot of hard work based off of whatever that thing is. And then challenge yourself. Don't just do the small thing. Don't just take the easy road. There's so many people in in these these poverty ridden uh, uh areas where they'll just do the basic stuff. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Like let's say for example, uh most kids where I grew up in all of the the girls, they would just grow up and say, Okay, I'm gonna do hair because everybody's doing hair in everybody's house. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <It>
3: comes <laughs> naturally
0: it just comes yeah. naturally. Now I want to be just doing hair and all that. Like there's more to you that you can do more than just doing hair. Not right. saying there's nothing wrong with hair, but open up that box or take the top off of it right. and look further past and what's in right in front of you. You can do more than just that, right? At least try, give it a shot and see what happens.
3: I mean, look at you, you could have stopped with football, but, but you wanted more. You wanted to take on the challenge, there aren't too many people who who have the honors and the, the distinction and the accolades that you do, so I, I think it's brilliant. By the way, he uh, Jovan mentioned his IG, It's and it's the same name for his website also, Elite Seal Fit, Elite Seal Fit, all one word, seal is S-E-A-L. You're gonna need to check him out, follow his IG, go hop on his uh, website, So he's in the process right now of writing his book. He also has, um, uh, he's a mental health and in the wellness industry, he's a fitness trainer Coach and public speaker so you got you got a lot on your uh, plate there (laughs) so I hope um, some of these avenues are are available uh, to the audience on your website so that's super
0: cool so
3: yeah so you're you're writing you're writing about your journey now right
0: yes about my upbringing and how you know the struggles of that you know things that I saw how I went through a lot of things and the challenges I faced right Not being one of those really smart, educated, you know, kids coming up, feeling like I wasn't, feeling like I was dumb, right? I had such a negative attitude towards who I was, Mm -hmm. it it just took over. So I didn't want to be a part of that, and I I wanted to grow. So I'm trying to write a book about that and teach people, listen, when you read my book, when you hold it in your hand, it's going to be the title of it. I'm going to give you a little tip. Why not me? Right? Why not me? Because when you pick up that book, you're going to have to ask yourself that when you just say the name of the title. Because why not you? Why you can't be uh, a a top influencer, right? Why you can't be, uh, you know, a radio host. Why you can't have a podcast. Why you you can't be another Linda Gross, right? Right. Why you can't be another Javon Qualls, but me and your own version of that. Why you can't be this or that or whatever it is. So why not you? So I want people to understand that whole thing about the concept of the idea. And that's what I'm hoping I can bring the kids.
3: I love that, you know, and tell them to turn the TV off because we get such negativity from the media and most of it is just a bunch of lies and BS, you know, it's like you have to go beyond that. Is it going to be hard? Yeah, it's going to be hard, but it's a momentary hard compared to the whole span of your life. All right, so you go through a few months of pain, a couple of years of pain. So what? You're going to live till 80, 90, 100 years old. It's going to be a blip on the radar for goodness sake. Go through it. Mm -hmm. Come out the other side. That way you can walk in a room and be proud of your accomplishments. Be proud that you broke the mold, that whatever your parents' mold was doesn't have to be your mold. And you're a, a shining example of that. So. Tell me, uh, tell us about the the seals. What were one or two things that you just like? Whoa, I had no idea that was going to come up, or I had no idea I was going to face X Y Z, whatever that was. What was what was surprising to you?
0: Uh, uh, we want to say, bud. First, the training or actual seal once it became a seal.
3: Yeah, wh- whatever you want to speak to.
0: Um, let's talk about let's let's talk both sides, right? In the training pipeline. The first part of the training pipeline, when once we finally got up to, once we were getting to healthy, right, there's a portion called drown proofing. Okay. Most people YouTube it, YouTube it, and see it, which is where you will hop in the pool, you're tied up with your hands behind your back and your feet around the ankles, right? And this portion of a test goes on about 20-25 minutes long that you have to pass in the water, tied up like.
3: Damn, now, you, gotta be <laughs> you got to be Houdini. You know did. those old <laughs> uh, Houdini movies where he used to be handcuffed and the chains, and he was like a in a big aquarium ta- tank, and he had I don't know one minute to get out of the tank or whatever it was.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, it was something like it was something like that, and it made you think like, man, can I do this? There was a huge fear factor to that for me. Oh yeah. I went I went through a lot of stuff that I didn't think I could accomplish because I never done it before. I mean, even even the little stuff like the die physics, explosive breaching, right, blowing things up, learning all those calculations. But that one portion of of uh, drown proofing, that was yeah. the kicker for me, and honestly was a, a, a trying time for me because I almost thought I was going to drown. I really did. Wow. In the middle of the test, you're set up in a box. You have to be in this box, and you have to stay in your box, right? Okay. And the job is to initially the part of the initial part of the test is to float. You have to float. Well. I don't float at all, and I'm tied up, and I have to stay in this little box. Everyone has to stay in the box in their own portion of the pool, and it's a small box. So I will have to get some air, tie it up, hands behind my back again, and then I will have to, like, let myself hover, drop down a little bit, and hover around, the, you know, the 10, 9, 10 feet, and I will stop. That's where I will float at for the most part. Other people will float with their backs on the surface, so all they have to do is lift up their head, get a breath, come back Right. Up. Lift up their head, okay. get a breath, come right down. So for me, now I have to kick like crazy to get back to the surface. And I will get to the surface, and I will try to hurry up. Now, I'm, you know, I understand I'm panicking. I'm kicking more. So there's water thrashing around me now. So when I put my head out of the water, it's not calm water at all. It's moving water. There was a few times where I just breathed in water. I didn't get air. So mm-hmm. now I'm in a point of my head where my mind says, oh, my God, I didn't get no air. And I got to keep trying to kick or let my let all my air out, go to the bottom and then try to just push up, and that's what I had to do. On that way down, mm-hmm. it was one of the hardest things. My mind is telling me, you got it, you got it. After i to let everything out. Just get to this bottom quick, and I, I fell pretty fast, hit the bottom, and you're in a 15-foot uh, portion of the pool, I think, 15 or 20, and push up as hard as you can to get to the surface and break that. And I had to do that a few times just to get my mind to calm. The thing that kept me going, because you can see through blurred vision, right, you can see an instructor swimming around you. You can just see this black entity floating around you because the instructors are all in wetsuits in the pool. So I knew what they're doing is they're getting ready to pull me out and just anxious. me because if they see you panic too much, they're not keeping you in the pool. Your, your portion of the test is over. You're done. So as I can see you have him, too much humming, panic,
3: you're going to run out of oxygen. So that's the oxygen. you know it's it's hard to maintain the calm level, but with the calm level, you're not sucking up too much ox- oxygen. All uh-huh. right, go ahead. So you they're already, circling you are, around. Uh-huh. You are
0: already understanding this. You got it. You got it right yeah. there. And I'm seeing him, and I'm panicking more because I'm like, oh, my God, if I don't get under control, I'm it's done.
3: It's time,
0: yeah. He's going to pull me out. So I have to figure out a way to calm down. And what did it was I was thinking about my grandmother. Okay. thousand percent. I thought about Making my kids, as they get get older eventually, be like, "Man, my dad is a Navy SEAL." So as I try to bob this few more times and try to get up and just barely break it, don't bob and just bring your whole chest out of the water because you're just gonna you're just creating more need for air. Right. Try to get up to just come break the surface and try to open your mouth and get it, but it's about calming down. So I had to learn how to relax in panic, relax in the, the face of fear, and that's right. what people go wrong in every all life parts of you know portion of their life a lot of portions different portions of their lives we panic and we get a fear and we think we can't do it and then we leave we let it go
1: mm-hmm. and
0: i finally got it under control and the next thing i know the rest of the test i cruise right through it i had no more trouble once i broke through that that mind barrier that wall that i had in front of me that i yeah. am going to drown I am going not, I'm not going to pass this test. They're going to kick me out, and I'm done with this program period. I finally got it down. I had to find that. what they what people say find your happy place
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um, I found it, and I made it through it and uh that was a hard portion, portion for me through the program for now when I became a seal like i said um uh when I became a seal I would say the hardest thing was we train harder than we go on the point. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I can say the right, say what I can is what I'm allowed to say, but we train mm-hmm. harder than we're going to performance. So when we train for combat mm-hmm. here in America, we train so intensely that it's all it's, uh, it's almost on like a portion of, like, everything you're going to fail this test. I mean, we 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 use, you know, um, simulated rounds, so they actually shoot a projectile that will hit you so you know you got hit. So we go through these whole portion of uh, uh, combat training where we do these to each other and we struggle mm-hmm. to death. They have all these different positions where they can hide and and aggress you and put this pain on you and let you know that you just failed and you're up all night long as if you're on a a three, four-day-long training, a live scenario at war, like in Iraq, with no sleep. You're under consistent combat, under fire left and right, and there's no way to get out of it. And I'll tell you what that did for me, going through some of that, the hardest part about it is, you know, barely drinking, out there in the desert here in California, hot as I don't know what, 120 degrees. You're just dealing with it, you're just taking it, right? You're trying to run for cover, you're trying to cover your buddies. So the instructor says, this guy over here is down, they've been injured and you gotta get this person to of the fight, you gotta still win the fight and you gotta move, you gotta call in air support, you gotta call in so many different things, you gotta let people know what's going back to the headquarters, all that did was it made me stronger to know that when we go to actual war, that anything that we face, we can we can um, uh, overcome it.
3: Yeah,
0: but those yeah. are some of the things. It was just it was just a, the high intensity, and consistency of how it was, especially out in the desert out here in California.
3: I think the hardest part about these things is your mental <laughs> demeanor, you know, because boy, that that head up there—it's so noisy at times, and you have to quiet it down and tell it to shut up. You know, it's like I got a job i got a job to do so sometimes when i find myself in high anxiety uh situations i mean much like you're saying you thought of your grandmother so i will look around the room and i'll tell myself all right just count how many green things there are in the room and just making that little shift like it takes down the anxiety you know yeah maybe i only have to do it for four or five seconds But, you know, up until then, you feel like you're going to throw up. You feel like, you know, like the anxiety level, the adrenaline level is is too much. You can't handle it. I'm like, just shut up. Just walk, look around the room, count the green things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, today there were five green things. And, you know, a week from now, there were 10 green things or whatever. But it's just Mm -hmm. so silly how just, you know, remove your mind from the situation
0: because that's your biggest foe.
3: It's trying to keep you safe. That's why yes. it's doing that, but you don't think so at the time.
0: No, no. You just think you're in hell. You think you're in, hell. You think yeah. you're in the worst preacher of it, you know? It is a mind thing, and people don't realize that. Just like you said, and if, if the world, more people in the world understand that it's a mind thing, uh, that we can overcome so much more if we just put our mind to it and focus. Even when it gets hard, I'm telling you, so many people will be so much better off in their life. It will be so much different. I had to learn that. In the field team the field team's really tested me testing my resolve in everything i mean it says i mean you not only what i just had to deal with that example i just told you but just the accountability to your next man to your brother's field when i first got to right. my very first field team their mission is they're ready to go to war they already work with each other i'm the new guy right so my whole goal is to get caught up to speed as fast as i can to where everyone else at so when they we go to war together they feel confident enough that i can take care of my business take care of my job and I have the accountability to also take care of them at the same time. When I'm creating a, a explosive charge, right? You know, you got to make sure you're creating a charge just for a door, and not the whole house. I right? <laughs> mean, you got to make sure you don't put too much TNT and blow everything up. You're just trying to get in the door. For snipers, you got to really know how to cover your. You got to know your job, how to use that sniper rifle, because you got the sniper hide way back here, away from the target house, but you got the assault staff, the assault crew on the house. So anything that may be coming around them, you need to be, that you're the guy who's supposed to protect them from distance. So you have to really understand and have your accountability. So that's pressure there. That pressure. Yeah. So if you can't understand how to handle pressure, you will crack. So you got to go through certain challenges and, ch- and levels of change and differences and, and things to understand how to deal with challenges and those type of pressures so you can be, be better for each other. And that's, a, that's another hard thing I would say that you got to go through, getting over that pressure, understanding that even though you're the new guy, you got to take on accountability for yourself and, and, and learn and try to be better for the team. Whether you're a worker at a warehouse at Walmart, whether you're working at Google, you have to take accountability to who you are and to everyone else that you're working with because you want to be the best with them because they've already been working together. they built a uh, connection. So those are some of the things that I had to deal with uh, initially and understanding how to grow and be that guy uh, to, to, to accept that.
3: Yeah, that that must have been a hard one because you probably grew up feeling very alone and, you know, you were shamed and dismissive and wanted to keep your distance. You didn't want your friends to know what really go- goes on in the house, what really goes on with your mom. So to go from that avenue to, wow, my team actually has my back. So I better mm-hmm. step up and have their back because this is such a – I'm sure it must have been a foreign feeling when it happened the first first or second time. But it's its like a sense of responsibility that they're, they've they got you and you've got to have them. Otherwise, mm-hmm. this, it, this ain't
0: going to work. Linda, you said it just right. You know, growing up in that aspect where I didn't really want to be and have people all in my space and then I go to a skill team where everyone's supposed to be family. I'm supposed right. to trust them. And they're supposed to be able to trust me. So we got to go through a lot of hardship together. Right? They may say something. They may give me a piece of critical um, – um, uh, what we're talking about, what people can't handle when someone gives them a critical idea or you know, right. a, a, a objective viewpoint or something that I need to be changing or whatever. Right, constructive if I kept criticism. Constru- constructive criticism, yeah. So if I would have kept my old self, my old me, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I would have right. came at it more like this, and we would have just been grabbing heads yeah. because – I couldn't handle your criticism, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to learn how to accept it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know, if if I'm doing something wrong, I need to be corrected. Teach me. And then I need to be accepting, be willing to accept that, right? And I need to be humble enough to say, yes, I'm willing to be here. I did that wrong. You're right. Even the way you said it, it, I may felt it was offensive, but it really wasn't. It was just you trying to get to me and teach me. I got to be better. And to be period. open
3: to the fact that sometimes that doesn't go in right away. It might be tomorrow. Yeah. It might be next week. Heck, it might be six months from now. But you just, you know, if it's not going in, shut up and take it and just sleep on it, away from the person that made the comment, because eventually it'll it'll go in, you know? Absolutely. So just realize that it's not always going to go in right right now, right then, this second. But maybe there is some truth to that maybe you can see it from that other person's point of view oh okay that's what was happening you know so you know the best the best thing is to learn from the mistakes because here's how here's how the universe works in my view the universe is going to give you the same problem again and again and again and here's how you know you solved it Jovan you don't get that problem anymore That's that's how you don't get it. The universe will give you some new problems to work on, but that repetitive thing, that merry-go-round, it's to teach you a lesson, and you're not getting it. That's why they keep giving it to you again and again. You pick the same type of girl, or you pick the same type of car, or you pick the same, whatever it is, you know? And, um, you know, when you stop getting that negative lesson, that means you've learned the lesson. That's
0: right. And some of the things that's blocking that is our ego. Yeah. That's some of the things. You can learn from your ego. Your ego can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing, right? It can just it can pretty much crash you down to the, to the very pitfalls of the end of the depth of the earth that you just don't feel like you know where you're going. If you allow your ego to get in your, in your way all the time, you're just always in the way. So like you said, you know it takes time to, to understand that, get that constructive criticism, accept it, and learn from it and then over time as you go get keep bumping your head with the same thing over and over and over again eventually it clicks and boom you're so much better and I tell you that that right there what you just said that had to happen to me 100% happened to me right okay. I mean my my whole you know upbringing happened to me especially once I thought I was a man and came into the military I had that initially in the first couple of years for sure that I had to learn how to get out of my own way and listen You know, there are people who are smarter than me. Absolutely they are. There are people who are more experienced than me. Absolutely they are. Right? Uh, And I just had to understand that, hey, we all have a place. Take my time. I'll find it. I'll get there. But you ain't got to bite everybody's head off now because they said something to you.
3: (laughs) Right. So I understand that you had uh, six deployments, mainly Mm -hmm. in Iraq. And congratulations, you won the uh, Combat Action Medal. So I know the military usually does a fabulous job of training you for combat, training you for, you know, anti-stress, anti-anxiety, you know, like finish the mission, et cetera, et cetera. What is your advice on the exit strategy? Like, you know, how do you keep your mind on straight after you've seen these combat situations? How do you get through that, you know, post-military
0: uh you know what when i get asked that question to me personally some people do ask me all the time how do you handle war how do you handle death right okay the field teams are an offensive unit so their job is to be trained to go out there and take people out you got to understand that you have to mentally mentally be ready to accept that there's no easy way there's no sugarcoating that you are trained to be an offensive unit you're not defensive we're going to go and get you That's our job. Right. The way I try to compartmentalize it to where I feel safe in me and understanding Mm -hmm. it, right, is because I felt like the job that I was doing is for the better lives of others. Mm. Right. I had to accept and know that, listen, I'm being trained to go to a portion uh, area in Iraq, take out the bad people, right, help Iraq or help this, at least this one small community live in a space where they feel safe where they can go to their own markets and not feel like they're going to be assassinated not feel like there's going to be an explosion at the local grocery store the local market in iraq they can go out there with their kids because people used to have a, a bad connotation here about what the people like were like in iraq and i would always come back and say there are really good people over there they want the same thing that we want They just want peace they want to be able to take their kids their grandkids their brother their sister their husband, their wives, their boyfriend, girlfriend, to a show, to the market, to wherever. I mean, they had swimming pools over there. They want to be there and just enjoy those lightly, lightly things that we all have here in America. And they want these people, these bad people to be out of there. I understood it and I accept that role, that my job is to clean out and help these people live a free life. And that was how I was able to compartmentalize it and not bring this stuff out to the surface of the things that I saw on my deployments, things that I witnessed. The, the times of near death that I came my way as well. I didn't want to live that, and I just needed to make sure I understood that this is for a good purpose. I'm not going to be judged in any kind of bad way, even when I'm my when I finally lay my head to rest. I know that I will be accepted for anything that I've done when I went through the war because I knew I was doing it for a good purpose. Now others, they can't really get that as easy. Some people have really struggled with that you've seen some people, like recently, we've had people in the SEAL teams recently commit to suicide. Yeah. We've had more, I think I say suicide the last three, four years, and we've had in the SEAL teams in like a last 10-year time period. I mean, it's just been so consistent. Like every three months we're hearing about another SEAL who's been out, another SEAL still operating who committed suicide. So there is a mental health issue going on for sure. Some guys have been in more combat than others. Some guys have seen other things than another person has. But we've all been there, Right. And we all sometimes still talk to each other. And then the next thing you know, the next week, that person is gone. You're like, man, I was just talking to that person. Right? Uh-huh. That person was my commander. I've been working with that person. You know, uh, Commander Ramirez, he just recently he was a field commander. My last field commander, my last operational team just committed suicide. We're in April, March, or February. You know, Oof. husband, father of three or four kids. You know, and it's that's the most recent one that, that was closer to me. Right. um so when you lose people uh it just makes you wonder what, what's going on you know it makes you kind of get those ideas that we we let someone else down because we wasn't there for them, right and it just makes it harder to find and be more vigilant to see understand the signs that people are showing you when they are in need they need something and the mental health piece of it i think we're starting to get better with it right i mean now since i've been out the last year and a half i've been able to see that our community has been adding more things for the family, for the for the, for the vet themselves, to just come together. And we have so many events, especially here in San Diego. I don't know what the field teams are doing on the East Coast, but I know here in San Diego, they're getting together a lot out here now. We're trying to make sure we're giving people a safe zone that they can come and talk to people and, and just kind of feel that family life again. You know, even though you may not be fully committed in the military anymore, like I was, because I even went to a depression when I first got out. I don't know if I ever told you that.
1: But I went yeah. into it the
0: first few months. I was kind of lost. I didn't yeah. know what to do. What am I going to do with up. my
3: life now? Right? Right?
0: I, I didn't know what to do. I w- didn't want to get up. Uh, and I had to call a friend of mine and ask him, did he go through some of this? Did this bother him?" And he, and he called me back. And, you know, I, I texted him and he called me. He didn't just text me. He was like, let me call. Because he went through it. And then he wanted to really let me understand, hey, listen, this is what you're about to do now. You got to get away from you don't have the deployment anymore. You don't have the accountability and the responsibility of taking care of the world anymore. So now you gotta find what's going on, what's your next thing and be ready for that. And then everything that you went through in the military, you gotta understand that it's okay, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay that you went through that combat. It's okay that you lived that life. It's okay that you may have been through some very hellacious moments, but it took time. So I had to go through it as well. And, and now I, and we partnered up with another company who creates these these supplements to help get into the uh, uh, mental health phase? Like it, it kind of gets into the gut health, right? Because we have two different gut, we have two different brains in our body. People just really focus on the brain, but we don't sure. understand that our belly, the gut health, is what sends signals to the brain and also gets you in that mood, that good mood, that happy mood, or you can be in that negative mood where you're just going downhill. So a lot of these supplements that we're really getting out there right now is really to help people understand how to get to that. Gut-brain access, how to get that to communicate, because you create more, more serotonin in the gut than in the brain does. You create more dopamine in the gut than the brain does. Right. That's what we're trying to target now, to really affect you, to get you in that happy space. So, and I think we're working well with that. Uh, I'm happy about it. I mean, I take these things every single day now to keep me in a happy place, and it keeps me motivated. It gives me that energy. It gives me that feeling of being again and acceptance. And that's what we're trying to do right now
3: yeah, we all go through highs, we all go through lows, but you know the the important thing to remember is you might be in retirement, you might be post deployment, what have you, and having a low spot, and just to know that you're not alone that this is very common, and you'll get through it. I mean, if you, if you isolate yourself and think, oh, this is a unique feeling, nobody else is feeling this, it must just be me, that's when you're going to get into trouble because you're going to do something stupid. So if you do feel in those low situations, realize that those emotions are very common, but they're solvable. And tomorrow is a new day that you may only feel like this for a half an hour. And then go walk around the block or do something, you know, change the environment, change the scenery, do something else, reach out to your buddies or what have you, because the 31st minute, you might feel completely different. So, yeah, it's such a sad thing when somebody takes their own life. I think it's because they feel isolated. They feel like they're alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your group through coaching and I'm sure with your, um, you know, former military members, that's the best thing you can do is to have that sense of community, have a safe space where they can call somebody. They can, you know, unload a little bit that you don't have to do this.
0: Absolutely. And even me personally, I'm trying to create my own personal community like that. Like even on my website, the there's a tab in there where people are going to do a free consultation with me. And then they can kind of talk to me one on one about what their goals are, right? Okay. And then once we that's just the starting piece. And once we get into that that zone, then I do weekly um uh, just calls with my team with wow. my individuals, my clients, yes. Every single weekend. So I wanna make sure I'm creating these things, these habits for so people who have someone to talk to, so people that have someone to listen to. A person that like me who went through a lot of hardship and strife and also went through a depression, how I came through all these different things to be more, right? You know, it's not just about me being a Navy SEAL. I got my bachelor's degree as well while I was going through that stuff. I became top of my class when I graduated. Now I'm a, I'm a successful entrepreneur trying to get out there and be more to the people, right? I'm creating my Instagram page so I can meet more people and network with people to create more of a community of other like men and women who need someone, who need a coach, who can be there to help them, who really cares about each individual, about, cares about life. I, I yeah. really just now have a natural care about life. And that's where I'm at right now on everything that I do, about giving more back to people.
3: I love that. Thank you for staying a little bit over with me. I really appreciated it. Um, Do you have any closing comments for our audience that you'd like them to use as a takeaway?
0: Um, You know, everything we talk about here, I just hope they all understand that the goal is to create community and understand that people can be more than who you think you are. You know, think about exploring the world more. Think about getting out there and being more for your kids, right? Leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy for them to be able to ride off of, right? That generational wealth. It may not be financial uh, wealth all the time, but it's something that you can create habits and traditions in your family so you can understand how to be more, because once they start trying to be more, that becomes contagious. That becomes a habit. Then everyone else wants to do that thing. So I hope everything they got out of this conversation from me today is that my whole goal is to help people be more, be better, right. whether you physical physical nutrition, or your my fitness program, which is body sculpting, uh, physique, whether it's just mental coaching, if you need that, um, and just, you know, if you need to talk to me, reach out to me through my Instagram, at elitefeelfit Instagram, and then my website, com. You can click on that to become a, a, a free consultation, and we just sit there and we have a talk about what your goals are for at least 30 minutes, and then we go further from that point on and see what we need to do.
3: Gotcha. Love that. And I love that message. Just be more. Just, they say that the difference between a, a winner and a loser, it's only 1%. It's like, shoot, had you known that up front, that all you needed was one hour more, all you needed was one lap more, all you needed is one, yeah. one more phone call, or like whatever it is in your, in your field or your personal life or whatever. It yeah. just needed one lap more. That's it. So yeah. don't give up you know rewrite history you don't have to go through the negativity in your past life or your childhood or whatever your parents dished out for you 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 can be you Jovan I mean come on look what are the odds look at all the awards you've won uh, you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. bachelor's degree and 22 years and all these great missions I mean more power to you. You know, you. we all need to grow up and be Jovan. <laughs> just, uh, just, you know, you were in the you were in the pool, and you're like, okay, this uh, instructor's coming for me. I better figure out a way to calm myself mm-hmm. down because she's going to be yanking me out of the pool. So yeah. you figured it out. You, you took yeah. one more breath, and you said, okay, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to I'm going to pass this test. That's all it took. How long did that take? Another, an additional fifteen seconds or whatever it was. I mean. Right. Sometimes that's all it boils down to. People mm-hmm. need to realize that. So, yeah. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, you're welcome to come back anytime. I, I love uh, hearing your progress and what's happening with your groups and everything. And forward to seeing you again.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that, Ms. Linda. And I hope to work with you and talk to you again hopefully soon.
3: Absolutely. All right. We're going to close out the show. Um, I have, let's see, one quick little – yeah, here we go. One quick little uh, break, and then we'll close out the show.
1: Okay. Men, I have got a special treat for you. You definitely want to get a copy of The Science of Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever by Linda Gross. She interviewed over 20,000 men to write this book, and she combined 10 years of academic research at UCLA on relationships spanning from the caveman days to the present. And now she has a virtual encyclopedia for men who want to learn everything about women. So jump over to Amazon and get your copy of The Science of Mastering Women by author Linda Gross. It will absolutely change your life, and it will help you understand women a whole lot better. Go to Amazon, type in Linda Gross, The Science of Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever. You can get it in paperback. You can download it as well. And after you read the book, make sure you follow her on her podcast and go to Amazon and give her a really nice review and tell her that Fred sent you. Go get your copy of The Science of Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever by Linda Gross. Go get your copy now.
3: Thank you, Fred, and you better do what Fred says or he's going to come after you. Um, Yeah, my audio book now is also on Amazon, and it's on 50 different platforms, book platforms, Spotify, uh, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, It's all there, so just go find it, The Science of Mastering Women. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. We were on with Jovan Quarles, and we will. this was a special edition. I had to make room for Jovan because I really liked his story. But we'll be back at our regular time next week on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. So we'll catch you next time on The Men's Advocate Show. Bye for now.
0: Plus.